This is the Fearless Presentations Podcast, the fastest, easiest way to reduce public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast. This is podcast number eight, and we're, our topic today is about how to, to present to international audiences. Uh, if you're looking for the podcast notes, go to fearlesspresentations.com slash podcast eight. That'll get you all the notes. Um, got a very interesting interview with Eric Molin, who's an expert at presenting to international audiences. He's based in Austria. Uh, he's actually an American who moved over to Europe, and he's been doing presentation coaching over in Europe for the last really 10 years or so. Uh, fantastic interview. We also have a really cool tech find for you. Um, unlike a lot of the other tech finds that we've done, this one is actually more for logistic kind of things like timing. So this is a this is a timer that will help you communicate more effectively with speakers that are on stage, and it's really cool. So let's get started with this week's tech find. Tech find. High tech gadgets to make your presentations better. The tech find this week is a is an app called Present Time or Present Time. Uh, basically, the way that you spell it is it, it's the word present and then I M E at the end. So basically, the T and the present at the end and the T and time are kind of combined into into one word. Uh, basically, this is a presentation timer, but it it's got a few unique kind of things that make it very very helpful especially if you're the person who's organizing a big meeting or a big series of speeches that kind of thing um the main thing that this particular app has that other timers don't have is that the um it uses the iPhone technology to connect with other iPhones so basically you can you can have a, an iPhone or an iPad up on the the podium that the person or the the lectern that the person is speaking from and the the uh, timer or the person who's in charge of the meeting can adjust that time up or down so let's say for instance that we're in the middle of a big speech and somebody gets us off track. Somebody inter- interrupts the, the speaker and and the speaker has to get into a long-winded answer and everything. And so it adjusts the time one way or the other. As a result, the, the person who's who has control of the timer can kind of adjust the timer or pause the time on there. And it'll show up on the iPhone or the iPad that's on the on the lectern in front of the person. Um, it's got all the standard features of, of presentation timers as well. So you can adjust the warning. So so basically the uh, you can you can have one color for the the real meat of the presentation and then when there's only five minutes left you know it can change it to a different color the timer changes to a different color and then in the last minute it changes the red that kind of thing so all those things are are, are still in this particular presentation uh, timing app but the I think the connectivity of the of the app with the other devices that are in the room can be very very helpful especially if you have a lot of, of uh, presenters that you're working with uh, throughout a day and you need to make sure that everybody stays on the exact time or at least pretty close to it so you don't get off track on your time that kind of thing so it can be very very helpful so hopefully if you're organizing meetings you can use this one to your advantage a lot so doug who is today's special guest Hey, welcome back to Fearless Presentations. This is Doug Stannard, CEO of the of Fearless Presentations. Our topic today is presenting to international audiences. 
And uh, our expert guest is Eric Molin. Uh, he's, uh, Eric has a, a company uh, based in, in Europe, but he's actually an American who's kind of been, been uh, I guess, transplanted over into Europe, I'm guessing, right, Eric, somehow? That's correct, yes. I'm a transplant from about 17 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, so Eric owns a, a company called Presentation Expert. You can find him at presentationexpert.net. And you can actually download the, um, the, the podcast notes uh, by going to the fearlesspresentations.com website. If you just type in fearlesspresentations.com slash podcasts, it, with plural with an S, you'll be able to see the latest podcasts and, and download all the notes. So, so Eric, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, how you started speaking to international audiences. So, Doug, thanks a lot for inviting me to the podcast, and uh, I'm, I appreciate the chance to give some of my insights from the other side of the Atlantic. So just from my side, you know, I worked in business as a salesperson, and I was based uh, in Texas, New Jersey, Florida, California, and in 2000, I went over to Europe, and I was there originally just for a short time, uh, but then it just kept getting longer and longer. I quit the sales profession to be a teacher, and uh, it's pretty easy becoming an English teacher. What happened, though, was the longer I did that, the more of my business clients approached me and said, Eric, I have to give a presentation next week. Can you look at it and check the English? And what happened was is I just started seeing repeatedly that English wasn't the problem. It was the message and how they I'm wanted sure. to express themselves. So that led to me, uh, you know, slowly but surely specializing in presentations. So that's what I've been doing for the last ten years. Okay, well, fantastic. Okay, so so um, so you've got a, a unique perspective because you started out doing presentations, uh, and as an American, as a as a native English speaker, uh, you were designing your presentations a certain way. And I'm assuming that somewhere along the way, you kind of changed a little bit about the way that you present because of the international audiences that you're that you're speaking to. So, how do presentations really in Europe anyway compare to the ones that we see here in the United States? Well, you're you're absolutely right. I did have to start adapting because what we find, you know, when you think of Europe, we tend to think of it, okay, this is a this is a continent. But inside of the continent, we have, you know, two dozen or even more individual countries with their own way of expressing themselves, with the own way that they uh, process information. And so my first real experience with international presentations was, uh, like I said, you know, customers started approaching me. They started asking me to have a look. And then uh, this started happening that I saw, okay, you know, this here's somebody approaching me from Germany. This is how they're doing it. Somebody from Austria or somebody from Poland. And then uh, starting in 2011, I did an MBA, and there we got business trainers and professors from all over Europe. And then we really started, or I started to really see the difference in uh, how we were doing it. So for me, the, the key difference is, uh, I mean, really for starters, you never know what you're going to get, depending on who's standing up and speaking. So, I mean, in the U.S., we appreciate a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, and a real definite belief in what we're saying. Even if it can't be, you know, proven or quantified at that moment, our audience is here. They want to see that we believe, and they, they want to see that, uh, and then they'll, be willing, then they'll be willing to take a chance on us. In Europe, we'll find a lot more reference to facts and situations as a foundation for whatever it is that we're presenting. So to develop, I would say, uh, a little bit less 
on the enthusiasm, for example, in the uh, persuasiveness of how we speak, and a little bit more to try to just present the facts and allow it to persuade its using the facts to do the persuasion. And uh, so that would be one cultural approach. Although when I have French clients, for example, or Italian clients, it's really on a personal basis. It's one person speaking to the other. We also see this in Spanish or Portuguese cultures, whereas from German or Scandinavian cultures, it tends to be much more a fact-based approach with a lot of information, sometimes too much. Yeah, I know one of the things that it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that we teach here in in our public speaking classes in in the states is is you know enthusiasm and energy is everything. You know, if you if you have you can break pretty much every rule in public speaking, and as long as you're enthusiastic, your audience is still going to love you. But when you're speaking to an international audience, that doesn't seem to be the case because I'm assuming it's more of a language barrier than anything else. It, it takes them a while to to keep up with a fast speaker and that kind of thing. At least that's kind of what I've seen in my experience. Is that kind of true in well, your case as well? Yeah, that's that's true. It is difficult to keep up with a fast speaker, and that is exclusively due to language. Uh, but regarding enthusiasm and energy, I, I definitely would I would not say at all that it's it's not the case here. I mean, we need energy and enthusiasm, and and people do deliver it, but it's just in a much more subtle way than what we as Americans are used to. So if you look at somebody who's highly energetic, for example, uh, that's up there on stage in Europe. You You'll find a little bit more, um, little or let's say a little bit less outward expression of the enthusiasm, and more in how they speak. For example, the eye contact that they'll make with their audience, sure. and I would just say, I mean, the, the the enthusiasm and the energy is there. It's just not as recognizable as perhaps you know, in, as it is in the U.S. Sure, I, and that actually goes right along with one of the one of the things I was most interested in learning from you is is when you're speaking to people in the audience who a lot of the folks in the audience are going to be have English as their second language. What kind of adaptations do you make to your presentations? What kind of things do you teach your your clients to do differently in order to help them communicate more effectively with those people that are speaking that second language? Sure, sure. So, well, there's two different groups. So the first one would be people that are speaking English as a native language, for example, people coming out of the UK or visiting Americans. And for them, I would say, uh, don't give your presentation the same way as you would back home. Metaphors and analogies, for example, to let's just take a great American analogy, which works in a lot of presentations, comparing it to football, comparing it to baseball. Whereas in Europe, uh, people won't have any clue at all what you're talking about. And so I I think that putting yourself in your audience's shoes and imagining here's somebody coming from a complete different side of the world with different social rules, different uh, references to business culture. And so to to a degree, we have to really uh, say it like it is. You know, and just put forward the facts as much as it might be tempting to, uh, you know, add some drama or some dramatic elements to that, that could really serve to confuse the audience. I remember uh, one woman I met, um, and her name was Ava from Frankfurt. She told me that um, she had a series of presentations to attend in a workshop, and uh, the instructor was just constantly making jokes in between, which you know would have been great for an American audience to break up the seriousness of the subject, but for her, detracted and took away from the seriousness 
You know, for her, it was like, okay, I'm here to learn something serious. Let's do it seriously. So this is an example of the best intentions being misinterpreted. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. In, in fact, that kind of plays into um, one of the other things that I wanted to kind of cover with you is the the national cultures and how they really play a role. Because you've kind of mentioned a few already uh, how certain cultures, certain um, uh, countries are going to have their own way of communicating. And we have to, as speakers, I'm assuming anyway, we have to be able to kind of cross those boundaries in some way. So I'm, I'm assuming you have some good tips on how to do that. Absolutely. Uh, and the thing is, is uh, a lot of it, uh, when we just take a moment to stop and consider that these countries, again, they just have their own way of doing things in a way that is difficult for other people to really visualize. So some of the tips I give, first of all, is uh, you know knowing who your audience is. And that's sure. something I teach in my trainings is really uh, if you have an audience that is going to, let's say, be 10 people to know who they are and where they're coming from, because this automatically will help uh, focus your mind on the best way to deliver that message to each of them. And uh, the other thing is, is that also to bear in mind that different people's responsibilities, different professions will have very similar ways to process information regardless of which culture they come from. Oh, so yeah. you have a financial director, he's going to want to see information presented in a certain way and that would be true whether he comes from Los Angeles or London or uh, anywhere for that matter. Sure. And so, you know, and then the third thing which is really important is to go slowly, but not only go slowly to give people a chance to hear your words, go slowly that you can also see what is their reaction. Sure. You know, of so course. If you've got confused faces in the audience. People in, in some cultures, it's a loss of face to raise your hand and say, excuse me, I have no idea what you're talking about. They may smile politely and nod their head, but then after your presentation is over, they not being clear on what was discussed, you won't get the action that you're after. Right. So, so when you're delivering your presentations in, uh, to, let's say you're delivering a presentation to us, uh, to a, let's say you're in Paris, right? And you're delivering a presentation. The presentation is in English, but you know that a lot of the people that are going to be in that presentation aren't necessarily going to be from France. They're going to be from all over Europe and all over the world. So, so are, is there, are you, are you using that, um, that uh, national culture that you know about the French culture to to um, uh, kind of prepare for that presentation, or are you kind of doing it more as a as a whole so that you're hitting everybody in the in the group? Definitely the second one. The uh, the problem with the first one is is that there tend to be a lot of assumptions about what another culture does and doesn't want. But one thing that every culture wants is they want somebody to be authentic. They're not interested in somebody standing up and delivering what the they think the audience might want to hear. And so when you get up there, the trick is to be authentic, to be yourself, but to temper that to um, who you're speaking to. And for example, I gave the, uh, well, I gave the example earlier of using humor in a presentation sure. and in some cultures that's not appropriate. But on the other hand, when you get into an international group and let's just say we have 10 people from 10 different cultures, 
Well, all of a sudden, there is no national culture. There's an international culture. And this is where I, we always want to err on the side of caution when it comes to formality and being polite. So I know that sometimes, uh, especially over here in the States, we're really relaxed. You know, we want it to be enjoyable for our audience. And, um, you know, we're very informal about how we might approach it. Whereas over there, definitely you want to be on your uh, best behavior. And, you know, using humor is okay. Um, one, the, one of the tricks, though, is, is to use the humor against yourself. Right. So never direct it towards a, a culture or whatever except your own. The old self-deprecating humor always. Uh... Exactly. Exactly. You know, I make the joke uh, at the beginning. I ask people, OK, who speaks three languages or more? And, you know, you get a few hands in the air because over there that's normal and uh, say, OK, that's called trilingual. How about two languages or more? That's called bilingual. And OK, who just speaks one language here? That's called American. So, <laughs> you know, it's again, the target of the joke is myself. And right. it also addresses that thing in the back of their mind, which is kind of like, well, you know, at least the guy's being honest. Right. Sure. Of course. Hey, so you talked a few minutes ago about how how Americans, when they're when they're over in Europe speaking, they want to be a little bit more formal or any other tips that you can give Americans that are speaking in Europe, things that are that they should expect or things that they should kind of prepare for before they they get on the plane to go? Absolutely. Um, you know, kind of going back to the formality, uh, at the beginning of our uh, of your talk, you know, we, we definitely want to avoid being, I would say, too uh, canned. So, sure. but at the same time, you know, things like, for example, I'm really glad to be here. This is my first visit to the city. I was just blown away by how amazing it is, you know, the arc. And to be very specific, so not to just, you know, give it in generalities because that sounds, again, too canned. But then we can get into things like, you know, the coffee shops or the river at sunset or whatever it may be. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here. That's an example of formality. Uh, as far as other tips are concerned, I would say most definitely get in there. And I think this uh, also matches very closely Mostly what, what, what you teach in your training is, for example, to get there early. Get right. there early because you don't know what to expect. You don't know, uh, you know what the standard is, you know, what we come to expect here in the U.S. when it comes to a conference room or a seminar room at a hotel or a conf or a executive boardroom somewhere. We, what we come to expect over here has nothing to do with what you'll actually get over there. So get there early. Right. Make sure your audiovisual is working. Get familiar with the room. And also uh, to be familiar with national culture issues, there are some places where punctuality is more of an abstract concept and you'll have people walking into your talk, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes late. And so um, you may want to be able to, uh, to touch base and to kind of recap where you are at various stages so that those people can stay on the same page. Sure. Things like that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and then on the opposite side, you've got uh, Europeans that are that are coming over to the United States or people from from some other place, really, that are coming to the United States. What kind of um, things uh, do folks coming from another country need to know about how to speak to Americans? Sure, sure. And that's a really important one, because the U.S., uh, you know, we're a huge player in the global economy. And uh, companies from Europe and people from Europe, there's an increasing uh, amount of uh, the world becoming flatter. And so sure. my advice for Europeans presenting to Americans either there or in the United States 
is again to, to remain authentic but also to realize that it's okay to open up. And for example, uh, I had a customer, her name was Kim, and she's coming from Switzerland, and really, you know, formal culture, when you're standing and talking, you really are standing and talking. And the thing is, is her natural tendency, just from her personality, was to move around a lot. Oh, and sure. she had been criticized for that, she had been criticized for that repeatedly by various coaches and university professors, and you could see that she just wasn't comfortable with it, and the idea what I communicated to her was that you be yourself and if you're presenting to a group of Swiss bankers okay stand there and talk but you know if you're giving a presentation about something that's important to you that you're enthusiastic about it let your enthusiasm out because we will be really glad to see that and right. you know that's what we want to see is how you feel about it deep down inside so that's the first thing the second thing is to uh, really not so much worry about facts but simply think, okay, how do these facts apply to the people that are here in front of me? And uh, to really separate the nice-to-knows from the need-to-knows and focus on the need-to-knows. Sure. Now, when you're, just the technical side, though, when you're actually preparing these presentations, what kind of things do you do differently than maybe what I would do here in, in the States? Because I, I know that you and I have kind of talked in the past about different things that, that you did do differently that kind of opened up my eyes because here in here in the states when I'm getting people to design their their uh, PowerPoint slides for instance I'm going to have them put together a, a, a very well defined outline of bullet points whereas uh, I know from your perspective because you're speaking to more international audience you don't even use a lot of bullet points right so you're you're using That's more images and stuff so that's correct, yes. Um, and so my advice for my customers here, which is, um, you know, as much as I'm against a cookie cutter, you know, one size fits all solution, it's more of a set of guidelines, sure. which is to, you know, for each slide, have a headline and then have some type of a visual. And uh, the reason for that is visual images uh, are international. They're international and someone can look at a picture in Tokyo or they can look at a picture in Mumbai or in Istanbul and they can have the same emotional response to that. Uh, and this is something that when you have a headline and you have a picture, It'll, your audience really, you know, they're going to have an emotion and that's your opportunity to use that emotion to get across the point that you want to say. So I think that's the key difference in the prep is less text and more simplicity because, uh, you know, the less that's up there, the less chance there is for misunderstanding. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that, that you and I kind of talked about um, in, in at times past when I've been working with international clients, that kind of thing. Um, is that you tend to use more movies and and music and stuff like that than I would do here in the states, right? So that's right. Yes, I am a huge fan of um, select, for example, YouTube videos. So because again, this is something that can communicate across uh, borders. And interestingly, I've shown some videos uh, to an international group and gotten back this really unexpected. Oh yeah, I've seen this video. Great video. <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, and the other thing is that, um, you know, videos are reg readily available and people can get their hands on them thanks to YouTube. And you can show videos from a com competitor, you can show inspirational videos, or you can show something that's completely unrelated and then build a bridge to, mm -hmm. for, for example, there's one client of mine, he um, 
was he's coming out of a country where the infrastructure, the company infrastructure is rather old. It's a small market, not doing a lot of turnover. And so he comes to the annual sales meeting and he's in last place, of course, you know, sales managers from the US or from Germany or from China are showing up and their sales figures are off the chart. And he's showing up from his country uh, where, you know, it's just not that impressive. So he has this great video of a woman, I believe she was from Texas or Kentucky, I don't remember, but she ran a marathon in six hours. Uh And of course, people's first reaction is, hey, six hours, that's like forever, what's so impressive? And then you see in the video, she's 92 years old. And so with that, he builds the bridge, which is like, hey, yeah, we have this old infrastructure. And with that, we're still delivering amazing amounts of business, and therefore, we're worthy of more company investment. So that's an example of using a video which has nothing to do with anything and making it the centerpiece of what you're trying to say. Well, that's interesting because you were talking earlier about how sometimes the analogies that we use here, the metaphors that we use here in the States don't necessarily work in Europe. But because that the pop culture has really embraced YouTube and some of these some of, some of these YouTube videos, you can actually use those as your analogy and it makes it more inspirational or more funny and that kind of thing as well. That's interesting. More understandable, you know, because they can then see exactly what you're trying to say sure. when I talked about earlier about metaphors and analogies you know what I what I mean or for example saying yeah the ball is sitting on the one yard line and right. that we won't translate a lot and there's also little things that we do which I was never really conscious of until leaving the US so for example if we want to say somebody has a uh, you know uh, not really a good chance at something we might say there's a slim chance and then if we say there's a fat chance, well, actually, we mean the same thing, even though it's completely the opposite, which can be really confusing to somebody if they've never heard it before. Right. Sure. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. So um, so I, I understand that you're in the process of writing a book. It's, it's in final editing now and about to be released, I think, sometime in August. So That's tell, right. tell the listeners about your, your book and how interesting that I, got, that I love the concept of the book that you're writing. So. Sure, sure. So the book is, and the title is still being adapted, but it'll be pretty close to this. It'll be Making Your Impact in Four Steps. And the reason I called it Making Your Impact was because there's many different kinds of presentations out there. There are sales presentations. There are presentations to create organizational change. There are pitches that you make to investors as a startup. There are uh, presentations you give to educate. But all of these can be classified under impact. And so I wanted to leave it open for everybody who wants to say something and make their mark on the world in their own way. So the four steps, uh, they're really straightforward. They're really easy. Uh, really has to do with step A, which stands for your audience, because that's what it's all about. There is no one-size-fits-all presentation. There are small adaptations you need to make, and I give some really great tips about uh, very simple ways to remember who your audience is and how to analyze them extremely quickly And uh, so before getting started. And completing that step We talk then about building a brain-friendly call to action, and this has to do with creating your talk. And when I say brain-friendly, it means, again, you know, uh, giving people many different ways that they can process your message, whether it be through using quotes, famous quotes, whether it's through video from YouTube, 
or using pictures. In some cases, music is really a, a great background, high energy music for if that's the mood you're trying to create or something a little bit more mellow and relaxed if you want your audience to be mellow and relaxed while you're communicating with them. And music is also a great timekeeper that uh, you hear it in the background how much time you have left which is uh, when you're working inside of a tight window, it's really a benefit. So that has to do with creating your talk. And then I talk about delivering with enthusiasm uh, and also with engagement. And I believe this is very similar to what we were discussing earlier. Energy and enthusiasm are the key. It's just a matter of how you show it. But uh, engagement is something that many talks are missing. And you have people, they'll get out there and they'll just start saying, okay, good morning, everybody. Let's get started. Here's my first slide, my second slide, and blah, 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 blah. And the energy in the room just drops. You know, it goes to the floor. And the first moment that a presenter might say, okay, here's a question for you in the audience. Which way do you think the market is going with, for example, this particular product? A or B, hold up your hand if you think it's A, hold up. And then there's a change in the audience like, hey, I actually get to be a part of this. Right. And that's something that transcends cultures, although um, this is something we have to be aware of, is that in some cultures, uh, they're not used to being involved. Right. And so it's going to, you know, you may have to coax them out of, you know, their shell a little bit. There is a really great reference for international um, cultures. It's from a Dutch professor. His name is Geert Hofstadter. So the first name for those who want to look at it is G-E-E-R-T, last name H-O-F-S-T-E-D-E. And he created a, something, uh, international profile, scientifically based cultures on different profile, uh, scientifically based profiles on each culture which highlight, for example, what's their relationship to authority, and that will give you a good idea of who you're in front of. And the final step is uh, F, which is for first steps and for feedback, because what we don't want is to end our presentation with, okay, thank you everybody for your attention. Does anyone have any questions? Because this, um, you know, this is first of all how most boring presentations end. So I like the technique that you teach uh, from your book, which is, okay, so one question I'm often asked, you know, to kind of get the ball rolling with them. Sure. You know, and most importantly, that if you're out there trying to create change or if you're trying to obtain funding or if you're trying to, uh, you know, whatever it may be, that's the time to ask for it. You know, it's not afterwards to hope that they say, oh, well, you know, this is what the guy wanted, so let's do it. But really to ask for it and see if people are on board. Uh, And then finally, the final F is for feedback, because that is indeed the only way to become a great presenter is to simply ask people, you know, at the end of your talk to choose on a few select people and just say, hey, could you do me a favor at the end of my talk and just tell me what you thought, you know, give me some feedback. And uh, then we get into our blind spot, which everybody has. Just like on your car, there's a small area which you can't see. Sure. That's the same thing with our presentations, that only through external observation can we lock down small ticks or as well, most importantly, realize what we do extremely well and focus our efforts there. So your book, it sounds like a lot of the, the things that you're covering in your book, could you could you could give that just to people who speak only in the United States and they're going to get great value out of it. Um, but I'm assuming that you're going to have a lot of, of uh, additional details in there about the international audiences as well, correct? 
There are now, for the first edition of this book, there's not a heavy concentration of different culture profiles, sure. mainly because that's, uh, that's a huge undertaking, and I wanted to really focus on getting out there and talking. So uh, there'll be a second revision of this book, which will then have many more examples, and we'll go more deeply into uh, different international cultures and what does and doesn't work with interviews from influencers in those cultures where they'll share their experience and their tips as well. So there is really, you know, the book is about the techniques and to give a structure which will work well in an international environment and then to have a look when it is revised, which will be sometime towards the end of next year uh, to get into real depth about, you know, the, the main players in our global world and who they are and what we need to keep in mind. Yeah, fantastic, and and because this is uh, one of your this is your newest book, and um, uh, I think you told me that you're actually giving a giveaway for this one, right? Well, um, I wouldn't call it exactly a giveaway, but the first limited number of copies will be for free nice. and so you got to get out there and claim it and uh <laughs> you know the but for it, it will be for a download and it will be for free i want this information getting out there and i'm also interested in initial feedback from people as well fantastic yeah and you can do that uh, you can get a copy of eric's new book uh just go to fearlesspresentations.com slash Podcast. Um, so if you uh, type that into your um, to your browser, it should bring you right up to the the link that will let you uh, download that that uh, book as soon as it becomes available. So the first couple of weeks, I think that the podcast is going to be out. That you won't it, it'll it'll take you to a uh, order later page. But as soon exactly. as the book is released, so it'll, the first couple of weeks, they'll um, you'll put in basically your email address, and that's it. And then you'll get an announcement when the book is ready for download from your site. And uh, when the limited free editions are finished, it will then move to Amazon. Fantastic. All right. So just in closing, one of the things, because we talked about a lot of the technical stuff and putting together a presentation and how to really connect with your audience, whether that audience is international or or domestic. But, I, I you know, we... we a lot of times people kind of glance over some of the things I think are most important, which are the, the logistics of, of things that will happen to you when you're traveling, especially when you're traveling overseas to give a presentation, whether that's one way or the other, like, like jet lag. I mean, people don't take into account jet lag. I remember the first time that we got hired to do a, a, a class in Europe, and I think I gave myself one day. And typically the first day is actually the easiest day. It's the second day where you get killed as far as jet lag you know and that was the day i was up trying to speak at, and i was looking down at my my um my uh the the internal clock that was on my computer this was back uh, when the computer didn't didn't update from the web and stuff like that and uh, and it's you know it had midnight on there and I'm, I'm just about i'm just getting ready to speak now i'm like holy crap this is when i'd be going to bed in the state so so logistically some of those things about traveling to to kind of teach into other countries what are some of the things that you've kind of found as you've as you've kind of jumped from country to country and traveled that that uh, made things a little bit more difficult for you Sure, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, let me run down the list because it is a, <laughs> a pretty good list there. But focusing on what's most important, since you just mentioned jet lag, what I can say about jet lag is that, first of all, going from Europe to the United States is a lot easier yeah. than 
direction because, you know, when you go Europe to the U.S., depending where your final destination is, you'll pop out of bed at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And as long as you make it, you know, to the end of the business day, right. which is, is, you know, it's doable. It's doable and it's not too bad. Although this can really be, um, you know, the effects of this can really be uh, reduced by small things a few days before your travel change the time that you get out of bed something like that so right. let's deal with the more difficult one coming over to Europe because as you said you know your your it sets your clock forward if you're used to getting up at seven in the morning all of a sudden uh, you know it's it's uh, <laughs> you know it, it, you'll roll out of bed you'll show up at the client site at 2 p.m. Right. And so, but definitely it's difficult, but getting out of bed at four o'clock in the morning a few days before traveling, it's difficult, but it's not anywhere near as difficult as trying to do it on the other end. Right. And so, you know, getting that out of the way. Logistically, you know, I, I travel with multiple uh, fail safes. So as an example, I travel with two telephones. One of them is cloned to the other in case there's any problem with the one. And I can also, I'm a big fan of using dual SIM cards uh, when I'm traveling that, for example, that I can get coverage in places where my other, my ordinary phone may not work in case there's last minute updates or information I'm waiting on. I'm also a big, huge fan of using data backup. So, you know, we all have our PowerPoint on our laptop. Depending on what, if you're working for a company, what their security requirements are, you can store it in the cloud. But uh, something else which has been really, uh, which has been a huge benefit is being able to present directly from your telephone, just simply to store your videos, your music, whatever it is on your telephone. There are adapters that can go from your phone to all styles of projectors and speakers. And so this is something then, if something happens to your laptop, whatever the case is, uh, that you'll be ready because I've had to learn the hard way about that right, one. And sure. I can tell you, you know, giving a five hour presentation without having anything you prepared for, uh, that'll, that'll, <laughs> that'll etch the lesson really deep into your brain to be ready next time. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, all right. Well, good deal. Eric, I want to thank you for being a part of the Fearless Presentations podcast. You've given us some fantastic information and hopefully be able to help some some folks give much better presentations when they're traveling abroad. So thanks much for being with us. Thanks a lot for inviting me. It was a pleasure to speak with you, and I look forward to talking with you again, Doug. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.